him. What do we get when we get salvation? Well, five and six show us that he's brought us into union with God. What do we get? We get to be in union with God through Christ. We have been brought back into restored relationship. Covenant has been restored. We are one with Jesus. And because of us being in Christ, everything that is true about Jesus is now true about us. And if this is true... If this gospel is true, how then can I live? How then can I actually live now because I am sinful and rebellious and I've turned against God? And how does trusting look? And I'll tell you this, if it wasn't enough to just be in Christ, Romans 8 shows us that Christ is in us. That he's unzipped our flesh and by the spirit he lives inside of us. And now we don't have to trust in our own power and ability to live out that which we could not live. But now his spirit is breathing and moving and having his life lived out through us as his people. He gives us the power. What we see then is God has a sovereign plan through 9, 10, and 11 that We have been a part of this overarching plan and story that God is over. The reason why so many people get hung up on 9, 10, and 11 is because they thought they were in charge. And it offends people to think God's writing the story. If we believe these things, Here's the warning that Paul shows us. Here's the expression that Paul shows us. At the end of 11, if we believe all that I just talked about at at what Christ has done and trusting in him, it doesn't lead us to be smarter than everybody else. Theology does not lead to arrogance. Theology leads to doxology. This idea that when I have true beliefs about God and when I see who he is, it doesn't lead us to go, look at me. It leads us to praise. Doxology is at the end of chapter 11, Paul gets done with this theological masterpiece and it leads him to go, oh, the depths of the riches of who God is. And it's blowing his mind. He cannot take any credit for himself. And and anybody who becomes theological to elevate themselves has missed the point of theology. It leads us to praise, church. It leads us to mind-blowing understandings of who God is and humility before Him, to boast in who He is. And then Romans 12, where we are and where we've been for the last three weeks, orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. And what does that mean? That means if we have true beliefs, it leads to good practice. Why? Is it because now, all of a sudden, we just know how to do good things? No. Church, you have the Spirit dwelling within you. The very person and work of Christ by His Spirit dwells within you. How now can I live these things that we're going to be talking about today? By the Spirit who lives in us by faith and trust in Christ. I'm just going to read one verse today, and it may seem pointless to some to stand while we read that verse, but let's stand together, and the reason why we stand together is because I want us to have a reverence for the Word of God. 
Verse 9, and remember as we read, this is God's word. Let your love be genuine. Whore what is evil and hold fast to what is good. God, I pray you would take these words and sink them deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, you may be seated. Love is extremely important. We're doing eight weeks on this thing called love. And as much as faith has been twisted, love has even more been twisted because the reality is many of us have a definition of love that is more than likely not biblical. It's experiential. It is um, shaped by our past and our history. And so what we have to understand is when God uses a word like love, when love is used, here's, here's what I want us to get when we read this, let your love be genuine. Love is the measuring stick of a transformed life. Love is extremely important. Many of us have this idea that we measure our spirituality by how much we pray, how much we read scripture, how much we, uh, uh, how much we fast, how much we do this, or maybe how much giftedness we have, how much prophecy and how much discernment, how much these things. And we go, man, I'm really spiritual because we point to all of our behaviors and all of our gifts, but scripture points to something completely different. It points to love. How are you loving others? Let me read you a few texts. Mark 12, 30, 31 says this, Jesus speaking, saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. After he goes through what love is, after he spends time saying you could prophesy and if you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. You could, you could do all of, you could have discernment and if you don't have love, you have nothing. You could give away all your wealth and if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Your actions are not the measuring stick of your love. Your giftedness. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and now three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is Love, 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitudes of sins. Colossians 3, 14 says this, over and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all in perfect unity. 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. That we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has a, world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and truth if the truth be told this is a harder measuring stick to really live up to I would rather be judged based upon how much I read scripture than how much I love others why all of that is measurable, but God looks at the heart in which has been regenerated to show us that he's looking into who he is, that if we have his spirit dwelling within us and his spirit is working with us, this First Corinthians, I mean this Romans chapter 12 verse 9 is headed as um, the marks of true Christianity. And this one thing that sticks out is this, genuine love. And then every other one of these marks is a sub-point of genuine love. Here is how you will know they are Christians, by their love. 
What does genuine mean? It's, it means this, inexperienced in the art of acting. It means they're not good at putting on a show. It's amazing to me that he does not let us get away from just loving and just say, do loving things. He doesn't just give us a checklist of love. He pushes into the heart. He pushes into this fact. You have to genuinely love. It can't be a show. Why doesn't Paul just say, here guys, now that we've gone through all this theology and deep belief, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a checklist of everything you need to do to be a Christian. Because he's just pushed against this reality. Everybody thinks they need a list of laws to tell them how to run their lives and then God will be pleased. But now he's pushing into the heart. He's pushing past all of the checklists and saying, you've got to have genuine love. We could spend a lot of time, and we will over the next eight weeks, talking about what love really is. But today he gives an example, first example, of what genuine love is, and that's this. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. This slaps in the face a whole section of people who think love is just cuddling. This literally pulls out of the hug and just slaps you in the face. Because so many people think love has everything to do with just looking past evil, not seeing things, and just kind of being, oh, I just love everybody, man. Let's just hug it out, dude. Come on. Let's just love. And it shows us that authentic love has a hatred of evil. It's a strong hatred. It's a disgust. Have you ever eaten anything and then afterwards you got sick and then no matter how good the food was, you could never eat it again? Why? You abhor it. It disgusts you. Even the thought of it makes you... disgusting the realities of what Paul is showing us is that genuine love as a sub point has a hatred for sin let me let me show you what Romans 1 28 through 32 says it says this and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to debased minds to do what they ought not to be done they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they were full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they were gossip slanderers haters of God insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless if I just ended there you would go yes all of that is evil he adds another verse that I think is extremely interesting. He says this, though they know God's righteous decrees and though they practice such things, they deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Isn't it interesting that he lumps into the category not only everybody who does those sinful things, but everybody who approves of sinful things. 
Some of you have checked yourself out of evil because you said, I don't do it, but that's just their thing. I approve of their lifestyle, but it's not mine. So I won't be held accountable to it. But God just throws everybody in the same lump and says, not only is it those who do it, but those who approve of it. Deserve death. It is extremely difficult to think of genuine love and genuine hate in the same category. Why is it so hard for us to think we are loving when we hate evil? Uh, I put a few answers just down off the top of my head, and one that comes to mind is it feels really judgmental. How can I love somebody and then hate sin and evil and they're participating in it, and it just feels judgmental. Some of you have in genuine love for people, concerned for their, tr- for their true lives, have, have, have expressed the hatred of the things that they're doing. And what do they say? Don't judge me. Just love me. Don't judge me. So we feel judgmental if we have a hatred for evil. What is something else? It feels impossible. It feels like, how are you asking me to have a pure disgust for something and, 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 and to love at the same time? It feels impossible to have genuine love and genuine hatred for something at the exact same time. How could these two be mixed together? And if we dig a little bit farther, I, I think we had to answer the question, uh, uh, why is it hard for us to hate evil is because if we were honest, we still like it. We're still attracted to it. Our affections are still drawn to it. There's certain evil that we get disgusted by, and there's certain evil that we understand because we struggle with it too. We see somebody who is committing fornication, a couple that's living together, and we go, I get it but maybe we see homosexuality or something like that, and we go, that's gross. That's not everybody, but, but, but I will say this. Why is it we tolerate one and not the other? The reality of it is, is it just feels impossible because we still like certain evils. The ones that we don't like, it's easy for us to abhor. The last thing I think of is we can easily be desensitized. We've seen it so much. It's everywhere. It's hard. So we become desensitized. It's like we've drifted in an ocean. Have you ever gone out into an ocean and you, you think, here's where I am, then before you know it, you're, you're a mile down? Just because you've been carried away with the current, sometimes that's what happens to us. How is it that we can hate evil, hate what is evil, And that doesn't oppose love. Uh, Let me go to the next point and then I'll, I'll draw it all back to Christ so that we can see how that. Not only are we supposed to abhor what is evil, but we're supposed to hold fast to what is good. That word is, that is a glue that is held everything together that we're supposed to be adhered to. So there is this reality of not only hating what is evil, but we're holding fast to what is good. Things like, 
who God is. He is the ultimate definition of good. His, his word, kindness, forgiveness, generosity, service, all these kinds of things that we see as sin. I, I love what Romans uh, uh, Romans uh, 9 or what Romans 12 9 does is it points out sins of commission and sins of omission. So the first parts of sins of commission says I, I'm I'm not doing I'm not doing what is evil. So sins of commission is saying I'm doing evil things. I am choosing to do evil things. So some of you go, well, I'm not doing anything evil, so it's fine. But he gives another category of sin, which is the sin of omission, which is I am not doing what is good. Listen, it's not just enough to not do what is evil. Are you doing what is good? Proverbs 3.12 says this, do not withhold good from those for whom it is due when it is your power to do it. What it shows us is this. Christian life is not just about hating sin. It's about doing good. Love is not just doing what is not, love is not just hating and not doing what is wrong. It is about clinging to something much deeper. It's about clinging like glue to what is good. How is this possible? It's impossible for anybody in the world. It is only possible for those, like 1 John says, who see a Christ kind of love. The gospel thread is at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 1 says this, in view of God's mercy is how all of these things are going to flow out of your life. The only way you are going to know love, First John shows us, is through seeing who Christ is. And he perfectly shows us how to hate sin and love genuinely. The cross is the place where Punishment and hatred of sin comes to full bear upon a perfect and holy sacrifice. God hates sin so much that he kills his son. God clings to what is good, which is righteousness and forgiveness and holiness and purity. He clings to what is good at the cross Evil and good collide and come into some sort of perfect unity which is wrapped up in love. How is this that the Christian can both hate sin and genuinely hold fast to what is good and love people around them? Church, the only way you will be able to accomplish this if you view God through Christ and his mercy. First John says this, that you will only know love if you know Christ. Love is not a feeling. It's not a song. It's not romance. It's not anything less than all of those things, but it is far more. Love is a person. It is God. It is Christ. Church, Love is our identity. It's who we are. By the Spirit is the only way we're going to be able to walk in genuine love because you, in loving people, are checking into a massive tension, hating what is evil and holding fast to what is good. You are checking in 
to attention that everybody else is trying to check out of. You are walking uprightly before God and you are walking in the midst of evil and seeing hatred and sin and evil all around you. That's why I love that we were sitting here today and in prayer for our brothers and sisters. If you did not feel anger for the persecution that was taking place of of our brothers and sisters across across the world, you don't love. God hates the evil that is happening but he deals with it far differently than the world does. Isn't it amazing that the Bible says this, be angry, but do not sin. God is giving you permission to be angry. He's not giving you permission to sin in your anger. And some of us feel like if we are angry, we are sinful. It's that you're angry about wrong things. You need to be angry about righteous things. But do not let that anger lead you to sinful ways to deal with those situations. Christ was angry about the sin in the world. But because he is love, it led him to die for it. Instead of killing those who deserve death, he came and died for it. How do we apply this to our lives? One would be this, church. Love is the mark of true Christianity. Do not let anything else be the barometer for your Christianity. How many of us fall into this trap over and over again where we keep going, man, I must not be a very good Christian. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not doing this enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing all these kinds of things. They, they keep giving me stuff. They must think I'm sweating too much. Can, can, can we just all agree that the reason we keep depending on those things, listen, pray, read your Bible, study, do all the things that we should do as disciplines for sure to to grow in love for Christ. But hear me on this. Don't let anything else become the barometer of your heart and your affection for Christ. But this, how are you loving others? Second thing is this. Do you hate sin? Do you hate evil? Do you hate the fact that you want to receive worship for yourself? Do you hate the fact that you want the glory to all fall upon you? Do you hate the fact that you think you're smarter than God? Do you hate the fact that you see all the implications of sin of the people around us? Do we see the world around us and see that all the things that they're trapped in and enslaved to is destroying them? And if we don't hate that, we don't have genuine love. Cling to what is good every time, no matter how painful it is. Do what is right every time. And hear me, church, no matter how hard it is, no matter how countercultural it is, no matter how much it hurts, do it. Why? You'll never regret it. Oh, you may be persecuted. Oh, you may be mocked. You may be scoffed. And you may be outside of the cultural loops. Cling like glue to doing good. 